Good morning, Tuolumne Community Baptist Church. I'm so glad you're tuning in this morning or this afternoon or tonight or whatever time it may be when you decide to listen to the podcast. I just want to thank you that you are listening. It's real important. Uh, These are uh, really difficult days in which we live, and we need to search for understanding wherever we can find it. And for me, it's the living Word of God. We have to look to the Word of God to be able to get through this life in these days that we're living. Today, we're in the Acts of the Holy Spirit, is what the sermon series is called. It's the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. And today, we're on chapter 15. It's a, I was going to say it's a really interesting chapter, but I haven't had one yet that hasn't been interesting and doesn't apply to our world today, to where we at. Have you ever had a disagreement? Of course you have. You ever had one that you just simply couldn't get over, you couldn't let it go? Probably most of us have. We're gonna see an example of what we're to do when we're in disagreement. And maybe even what we're not to do could possibly be. We'll see by the end of this chapter. God bless you. I hope you enjoyed. Come out and see us here in Tuolumne, Tuolumne Community Baptist. God bless. Bye-bye. Well, we are in Acts chapter 15. We're rolling right through the book of Acts. Let me ask you, you ever had a disagreement? Come on, no, never. You can, of course you've had a disagreement. We all disagree. There have been disagreements that have split churches, ruined marriages, disagreements that destroy businesses. The worst I ever think I've ever seen is when it truly destroys friendships. Well, pastor, you put friendships above marriage? Well, yeah, because my wife is truly my very best friend. And if I allowed a disagreement, an argument to stand in the way of our relationship, I'd probably be the stupidest pastor you've ever known. Or maybe the dumbest. We all have them. So does that mean we just submit what we believe to be the truth in this disagreement just to save my marriage? No. If you can't resolve it with your great communicative skills that I know you all, you guys have, get help. You take it to the elders of the church or to a Christian counselor. But there's a catch. You both must be willing to listen. Even as you're disagreeing, you got to be willing to listen. In today's world, as well as in their world, neither one of them wanted to do it. But we have to be willing to listen to one another. And then there's that other thing. I don't think you guys are ready for that yet, so we'll come back to it.
The other thing, we'll come back. I keep pushing the button the wrong way. I think you have the idea of what this chapter is about. It starts out with a huge disagreement between men of Judah, believing Pharisees. These are believing in Jesus, Pharisees. They were in a disagreement with Paul and Barnabas. Paul, being a Pharisee himself, understands completely where they're coming from. And he knows just how wrong they are. Here's a spoiler alert before we get to it, they do get this worked out. They get it straightened out. Only to fall into another disagreement between Paul and Barnabas. But this one, I might add, is different. It doesn't involve salvation issues. It's personal. It's personal. Yet even Paul, after this, much later, after this disagreement, wrote these few scriptures. I'll let you take it over from here, Tyler. He's in Romans 8.28. You all know this one. You probably have this one memorized. And we know that all things work together for the good for those who love God. Amen? And to those who are called according to his purpose. So here's my first question for you. Are you called according to his purpose? Yes. Yes, you are. Well, what does that mean? Well, let me put it a simple way. Are you really saved? If you're really saved, you're called according to his purpose. Have you truly submitted yourself to his plan and purpose for your life? Or is it all just about you? We have to think about these things. You go, Pastor, why are you being so mean to us right out the gate? I'm not being mean. I love you. And if we don't think about this stuff, well, we just simply won't think about it. Look what Paul wrote in Ephesians 1.11. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, God's will. Have you truly obtained his inheritance? Have you? Come on, I want to hear. Have you? Yes, you have. If so, all things work according to the counsel of his will. All things. Well, Pastor, I just don't see how he can use this. You know, honestly, in your personal situation, if you told it to me, I don't see how he can work in it either, but I know this. You have an inheritance, and if you're truly saved, he's going to work this for your good. So I would ask the same question, are you really saved? I've had people say to me, how rude, Pastor, can you possibly be to ask, am I really saved? Of course I'm saved. I believe in Jesus. Hmm. Well, Satan and the demons also believe in Jesus. You know, just believing is one thing, but having really accepted him and really poured yourself into his will and plan and purpose, no matter what your situation looks like. 
no matter what it looks like. These are questions we all need to ask over your disagreements, over things that we don't simply don't understand. If you answer these questions is yes, this I will tell you, he will bring you through. Can I make a promise that? He will bring you through. I don't care what the situation looks like. He will bring you through. I didn't say that it would be without pain, without some discomfort. But he will bring you through. He himself said he would never leave you nor forsake you. That's Hebrews 13.5. You need to just memorize that one. So let's look at this situation the apostles got themselves in. Acts 15, verse 1. And certain men came down from Judah and taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. You know, in two simple verses, they're going to kind of resolve this thing. And I'm telling you, this was not an easy thing. This was an ugly argument. If you've ever been in a situation where two sides are totally opposite and you're just arguing it out, this, it's, this is worse than that. I believe they were probably close to blows and rolling on the ground. This was a real argument. So let's talk about the, the Pharisee side of it first. Because we have the same situation in church today. We have a hard time accepting that grace is simply that grace. It's free. It doesn't cost anything. All we have to do is believe. But wait a minute, Pastor. I just seen that guy down at the bar and I seen how he came out. And you're telling me he's saved? I'm not his judge. But yes. If he's accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, and, and, you know, eventually he'll realize that's not the place for him to be. Or maybe you don't know what he was doing in there. Maybe he was getting out a friend that was in more trouble than he is. We don't know. Imagine the Pharisees. They've lived their whole lives sacrificing, going to the, the feasts, Always, year after year, tracking all the way to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Passover. They would do all these things and they would act a certain way. They would wear certain clothes. And, and then they, they found the realization of Jesus Christ. And they said, hey, I believe. I, I, I seen in the gospel where this is truly the Messiah. This is the one. And they accept him. But they're having a hard time thinking now all these people walking down the street, they can walk in and, and be as saved as I am. You kind of see how they were feeling. They were thinking, we've, we've spent our whole life following the laws of Moses. And if they were really honest, they'd say, we spent our whole lives failing the laws of Moses. Because that's the truth of it. And Peter's going to bring that out. That none of us, none of you guys could have done it. And you're trying to put it on them? But I understand their feelings. I understand where they're coming from. And all the time, we people, they come into the church and maybe they don't smell so good or look so good, but they're praising God and worshiping God and they're saved. 
as saved as you and I are. But we tend to judge them and think, well, the Lord will clean him up, you know. Well, yeah, the Lord will. But that's between God and that person. Don't you be putting any extra burden upon that new Christian. And so often we do that. So let's look at verse 2. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them. Just pay attention to those words. This was no small dissension or dispute. They determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. Now, granted, it's only verse 2. And it looks like, okay, they're going to go get some help. I believe it took a few days to get here. There was some fighting going on. There were things happening. And they finally got to the point and said, okay, you guys got to go back to the apostles. They know Paul's a newbie. Okay, and Barnabas, he's, he's Barnabas. What a great guy he is. But he's, you guys need to go back and sit down with the apostles in Jerusalem in the, the Jewish synagogue temple and decide this and let them decide. So verse 3, being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversation of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy to all the brethren. Well, what is that saying? Is they were going back through these cities as they were making their trek back to Jerusalem. They were saying, this is what we're going to fight for you guys, that you're free. You don't have to live. You don't have to be circumcised to be saved. Can you imagine telling an adult man, guys, can you imagine? You got to be circumcised. That's a painful event. And sorry. You know, the girls don't get it, and that's okay, but th- this is a painful thing. And they're telling them, hey, you're not going to have to worry. Verse 4. And when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all the things that God had done with them. Praise God. So they they started sharing their testimonies of the people that were healed, the things that were happening. But some, verse 5, but some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed, understand what it's saying. These are believers in Jesus Christ. They believed, rose up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Verse 6, now the apostles and the elders came together to consider this matter. I thank God for the elders of my church. We haven't had any real serious matters to determine, but if we do, I can trust their decisions. I will sit and we will listen and we'll work it out. So they sat down to consider the matter. Verse 7. And there had been much dispute. Peter rose up and said to them, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us by my mouth. This is Peter talking. The Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. You guys remember just a few chapters ago, Cornelius? The centurion? This is exactly what he's talking about. God showed Paul this incredible or Peter this incredible vision 
of all the animals to come down to, to take and eat anything that nothing that I've made is unclean. And then he goes to a, a centurion's house to preach the gospel, and they all got saved. And then God, to give them a witness, filled them all with the Holy Spirit, just like he did them on the day of Pentecost, back in chapter 2. It's an amazing story. So he goes on to say in verse 6, 8, I'm sorry. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did us. And made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Verse 10. Now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? Why would you do that? What did he say? A yoke is what you put on an oxen to steer it and to drive it. It's not comfortable. You're being controlled. Every way, every step, you're being controlled. Why would you do that to new believers? Why would you put a yoke on their neck and say, listen, you got to do this, this, and this in order to come to church, in order to be saved? Why would you do such a thing? Verse 11 says, but we who believe... That though through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved in the same manner as they. Verse 12. Then a multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul declaring how many miracles and wonders had God worked through them among the Gentiles. They needed to hear the testimonies of the healings and the salvations and all the things that was happening. And they weren't, they were Greeks, most of them. They weren't, they weren't, they weren't even Jewish. And yet they believed and they were being saved. So now Simon Peter stands up. Verse 13, and after they had become silent, James, James answered, saying, Man and brethren, listen to me. We know this is a different to James, because we know the brother of John got beheaded a couple chapters back. This James is actually Jesus' half brother. Mary and Joseph came together as a husband and wife and, and bore many children after Christ was born. And this is Jesus' half brother. And actually, James is actually the, the leader of the church in Jerusalem. Everybody thinks that, that, it was, that it was Peter, but it's not. It's James. James was the, the top dog. He was the guy. He was full of wisdom. They say that he had knobby knees. Like, like, like on a, the knees were so bad, they, they looked like a, what are those knees on those big animals? They would ride um, camel, like camel's knees. Why? Because he was on his knees in prayer. All the time. James was an incredible man. So we know it's a different James than the other James. And now verse 14, he says, Simon has declared how God at first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. Now we got to look at that. Why did he call? You guys know who Simon is? That's Peter. So why did James decide to use and not call him Peter? 
Because he's talking to Jewish people and he wanted to use Peter's Jewish name. He's making a point. He's making it clear. He's one of us. And James has such incredible wisdom that he knows exactly what he's supposed to say. Verse 15. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. So what does he do? The first thing that James does is say, let's go to the word of God. Let's take this disagreement that we're having over this and let's look back what our elders had said. He goes all the way to the little tiny book of Amos. Verse 16 says, after this, I will return and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins. I will rise it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who does all these things. Verse 18, known to God from eternity are all his works. There it is. James stands up and gives the living word of God. That God has already said that he's going to bring the entire world into this, this covenant and it's going to be Jesus Christ that's going to bring the covenant. Do you remember when I told you you weren't kind of quite ready to hear what you weren't quite ready to hear? Compromise. Compromise. None of us like it. But James, in his incredible wisdom, knows that he is not going to compromise on the cross of Jesus Christ. He's not going to compromise on the living word of God. But he is going to create a compromise here that would make sense. Verse 19. Therefore, I judge that we should not trouble those, those new believers from among the Gentiles who are turning to God. Verse 20. But that we write to them to abstain from the things spoiled by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled and from blood. We'll talk about those in a minute. In verse 21, for Moses has throughout his generations those who preach him in every city being read in the synagogues and every Sabbath. These were words from Moses. Verse 22, then it pleased, it pleased the apostles and the elders with the whole church to send men to their own country, company, to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. Namely, Judas, this isn't Judas Iscariot, he's been long dead, this is a different one, who was also named Baraspas and Silas, leading men of the brethren. So they're going to send a bunch of men back with Paul and Silas, where this, at, this all happened in the church in Antioch, which is quite the distance away. So they were going to go and get back to the church with this letter. And this is what they wrote, verse 23. They wrote this letter by them, the apostles and the elders and the brethren. To the brethren who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, Sicilia, greetings. Verse 24, since we have heard that the same, that some who went out from us have troubled you with words, unsettling your soul, saying, you must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment. 
We didn't say it, guys. Verse 25, it seemed good to us being assembled with one accord to send chosen men to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. Verse 26, men who have risked their, their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas who will also report the same things by word of mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than those necessary things. So here we go again. He repeats it. Verse 29. From that you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these you will do well. Farewell. That is just amazing. So things offered to idols. Let's look at the first one. Things offered to idols. In their culture, it was commonplace for animals to be sacrificed to many different gods. And what they would do is they would take those sacrificed animals and they would take it to their local butcher shop and then sell the meat. So he's saying, don't buy anything that's been sacrificed to animals. And, and later, the Apostle Paul even addresses this question. He says, don't even ask where it comes from. Don't ask. If they're serving it, just eat it. Or don't eat it. But don't even bother to ask. But this is what they were talking about. Things that were be, being sold that were first sacrificed to whatever god they were, they were worshiping. Let's look at this scripture, 1 Corinthians 10, 19 and 20. What, I, what am I saying? That an idol is anything? Or is what offered to idols is anything? Rather, that the things which Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. How simple is that? Guys, I just don't want you to get involved in this. I don't want you to have fellowship with, with, with demons. Why? Why would you do that? And then Psalms 115.4 says, Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. That can be your idol. What is it that you do that you don't give to God? So it's clear here that we can make anything an idol. Our work, our bad habits, our addictions, what we watch, the things we say, anything we can't do or give to God is given to demons, I might add. If you're not giving it to God, who are you giving it to? We need to pay attention. So the second one, blood from things strangled. That's an interesting one, huh? I was having lunch with Jim the other day, and I was telling him the things that were in this, in this particular message. That the blood from things strangled. He goes, <laughs> roadkill. You know what? How true that is. We don't eat roadkill. Do you want to know why? Because the blood hasn't been drained. If I'd have hit, when that deer I hit on the road, he was a big buck. If I would have had my big buck knife and went down and cut his throat, it would have been perfectly fine to eat. 
but you can't go there six hours later and, and eat something that has the blood left remaining in it. It could be my redneck upbringing too, but we don't eat roadkill. We drain the blood. If you don't, the blood quickly coagulates in the meat. But listen to these scriptures. Genesis 9, 3 through 5, it says, Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. This is back in Genesis. I have given you all things, even as the green herbs. Verse 4, but you shall not eat the flesh with its life, and that is its blood. Surely, for your lifeblood, I will demand a reckoning. From every hand of every beast, I will require it. And from the hand of men, and from the hand of every man's brother, I will require the life of a man. God knows, and he pays attention to us. You men of valor, you men of war, and you've seen things that you should not see. God knows and recognizes the blood that those men lost. It's right there in his word. He'll take a reckoning of everything that is lost. And he tells us we should not eat the meat unless the blood is drained. So then it goes to sexual immorality. Well, that should be a no-brainer, right? Should be. It should be. But let's throw a few scriptures in there. 1 Corinthians 6.18. Flee sexual immorality. I would show you what flee looks like, but it's not right for an old man to run. It just don't look right. Okay, but if I was going to do an example, I would run straight out that door and I'd talk to you from outside. Flee from sexual immorality. Flee, run, get up, move, go, get. Get away from the things that you're, because you know what's in your mind. You know. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. It's so true. When Jesus described the events around his second coming, he said, just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They will be eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Jesus was pointing out, although people of Noah's day were totally deprived, they were not in the least bit concerned about it. That was his problem. They weren't at least concerned, in, in the least. They were carrying on the events of their lives without a single thought of the judgment of God. And I can only say the only thing I can imagine in my mind, in my my little pea picker of a mind. I can only imagine the only reason God hasn't completely wiped us out is because there's a few of us that are still praying. It's how many, how deprived is our nation? Not alone, the rest of the world. It's worse than I think I've ever seen it in my life. And yet God is still so patient and so loving and wanting us to come to him. He doesn't end. He is long-suffering, wanting us to reach those who are lost. Let's look at Acts 15.30. We're close to the end. 
So when they were sent off, they came to Antioch, and when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the letter. When they had read it, they rejoiced over its encouragement. Now Judas and Silas themselves, being prophets, also exhorted and strengthened the brethren with many words. Man, this was wonderful. This was going on. This, this was happening. Verse 33, and after they had stayed there for a time, they were sent back with greetings from the brethren and apostles. Verse 34, however, it seemed good to Silas to remain there. Paul, verse 35, Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the living word of God with so many, so many. Then after some days, Paul and Barnabas said, let us go back and visit the brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they were doing. Can you understand why? I mean, look at what happened in Antioch. They were gone from Antioch possibly as long as two years to make that long trek and, and starting those churches and coming all the way back. And look at what happened there. What's happening in the rest of the churches? We got to go back. We got to strengthen the brethren. We got to let them know because there could be other believing Pharisees that are over there trying to tell people that they have to sacrifice. They have to be circumcised. They have to do all these things. And it's, it's not true. We got to go back. And they wanted to. He said, let us go back. Verse 37. Now Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark. You remember him? Wasn't it just two chapters ago when John Mark left them? Verse 38 says, But Paul insisted that they should not take with him the one who departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Now we don't know why John Mark left. I don't know that we'll ever know. I gave you when we talked about that scripture several scenarios. He was a young man. Maybe he got word that his mother was ill and he had to go home and take care of her. We don't know. We don't know what the reason was. Or it could be, see, he could, maybe he could foresee there's a stone incoming and I don't want to be part of being stoned. I mean, things were getting serious with what was happening and, and John Mark said, I, I got to go. I'm sorry, guys, I got to go. And now Paul is saying, he's not going to go with us now. That word departed is a very serious word. It means that he left abruptly. He departed. He, he dropped the ball. He, he quit on us. Verse 39, then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, being commanded by the brethren to the grace of God. I don't know about how you guys feel, but this was sad. Paul and Barnabas, they were like, you know, Superman and who's, who was Superman's sidekick? You guys remember? I know, that guy never gets remembered, but Barnabas doesn't really get remembered either. Lois Lane. Yeah, <laughs> That's a good one. Lois Lane. But you know, it, 
These guys were the mighty duo. These guys had worked together. They knew each other's moves. They, they knew how to work a crowd. They, they knew how to, to bring the, usher the Holy Spirit in and see people get saved. And now because of a, an argument, they part ways. And they went through Syria and Sicily and strengthening their churches. They're talking about Paul and Silas. So was this a, a mistake? For Paul to be so angry about John Mark leaving on the last missions trip? Maybe. I'd be so bold to say probably. I mean, it's hard to believe that but Paul, the Apostle Paul, could make a mistake like that. But remember the scriptures we opened this message with. These were wrote well after this event. And some say, well, Paul was absolutely right. He's always right. Besides, we never hear from Barnabas again. Oh, does that mean Barnabas is not doing the work of God? No, not at all. He's out there ministering the gospel of Jesus Christ. And people are being saved. I'm sure there were miracles happening. It just didn't get wrote down. Later, we're going to see Paul and John Mark come together. And I think we'll realize how foolish this argument was when we come to that. I don't even know if it's in the book of Acts, but I know they come back together in Paul's ministry. Do you remember when what happened to the church in Jerusalem when they stoned Stephen? It scattered. The gospel went throughout the whole region because that's what God had told them to do. Get out and go throughout the whole region and preach the gospel. But they didn't. They were comfortable right there. The church was growing. They had plenty of money. Things were happening. They were buying new cars, you know, getting new computers. It was happening. But God said, no, you're going to scatter out. Could that be what happened here? That Barnabas and his mate went one way and Paul and Silas went another. It could be. All things. That's what we started this whole sermon with is all things work together. God is not the orchestrator of, God, of people doing bad things. Because people just simply do bad things. But God has a way to work things out through them. He has a way of working it out even through the stupid, stupid things that people do. And we do some pretty dumb ones. Can I get an amen? Because we do. We're people. We argue over things that we shouldn't even argue about. I've gotten so smart that I don't even argue with the woman. That's going to say I just do what I want anyway. But I get myself in trouble. But you know, it's interesting. She goes, oh no, any disagreement we have, she's going to preach on it. But it's interesting, here of late, I said, uh, you know, honey, it's time for me to get another project. A little car project. Don't start laughing, Andy. It's, it's time. You know, hey, I sold my motorcycle for the new carpeting in our house, okay? That was my last thing. And I said, I think it's time that I maybe... Give me another Volkswagen or something, something to work on. Something to, winter's coming. I want to spend time in the garage. You know, I think it's time, you know, to, to do that. And you know what she says? Wouldn't it be nice to have new floors in the bathroom? 
and the kitchen. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think it, it would be nice, honey. Even though I sold a motorcycle for the carpet that you're standing on. But, yeah, yeah. Praise God. We're going to get new floors in the bathroom. But, don't you worry, I'm going to get me a rig. Don't you worry. Praise God. You pray.